Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. I am joined by my sister Kay, and we are going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Mr. Robot. Mm -hmm. We've just finished watching the uh, 10th, 9th, and 10th episodes of the first season. It is a USA show, um, 10 episodes in the first season. It's a good ways through its second season, so we'll probably start watching that soon. Although, we may toss one or two other shows in first. We watched it in three bursts. Yeah. Which I uh, think first four episodes, second four episodes, then the final two. Yeah, and I think that was an interesting way to watch it because it's a show that, uh, first of all, we decided early on had an unreliable narrator. Well, I think the advantage of the way we watched it was having stopped at the end of episode eight, where it became clear exactly how unreliable the narrator of Elliot was. Yeah, it gave you us time to kind of percolate and think about what we'd seen. Well, the whole show is centering around a guy who's a security, uh, computer security type, who deals with encryption, decryption, that kind of a stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mention that because I think this is somewhat of an encrypted show mm. that you've got to decrypt to kind of understand. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting in terms of he works at a cybersecurity company called Allsafe, mm-hmm. which I think, hey, that's a pretty decent name for one. And their major client is eCorp. And right off the bat, I had noticed the E's all over the place, kind of like Dell usually has. It's very much the Dell E. Yeah. And, you know, kind of the same way the product placement for Dell usually is on the backs of laptops and that kind of thing. I think that's part of why they did it. So they could take Dell monitors and just kind of black out the 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 D D. and the L's and keep the E or whatever. Um, But Elliot refers to them as Evil Corp. Yeah. Because his father was working for them when he died. Yeah. And because... Every character refers to it as Evil Corp. It really reinforces that you're getting everything, even the scenes Elliot's not in, through Elliot's filter. Well, and I think in the first episode, he flat out in the narration tells us that every time he sees it, just in his mind, it's Evil Corp. Mm -hmm. It's just that's how it is in his world. Yeah. So they set the scene early on that we're getting a very biased vantage point of of what's happening. Mm Mm-hmm. But it takes really until episodes nine and ten for uh, for at least me to understand exactly. It's not just he's editorializing. He has severe mental issues. He's hallucinating. And things that we thought we saw were, did not happen the way that we thought they happened. Yeah. Well, and we knew he was seeing a shrink. But what he was seeing the shrink for is clearly more than what we realized he was seeing the counselor for. Well, and there were one or two scenes, particularly when uh, Angela and Darlene are in the uh, ballet class in mm-hmm. one episode around s- seven or eight. Who are like, wait, they know each other? Yeah. They seem to have known each other for a long time. What's going on with this? Yeah. Um, and there's a certain, not discomfort, but uh, confusion that sets in yeah. along with that, which is no doubt intentional. Yeah. Well, the way that... Uh Christian Slater's character, which mm-hmm. I think we only ever really refer to uh, through most of his Mr. Robot, the way he is from the first episode on, the way he just seems to appear in the right place at the right time. He was very stalkerish. Well, and there from the very first episode, I kept wondering, is he even real? But at that point, I didn't have the knowledge that Elliot hallucinates. So I had no reason to back up my nagging feeling that he just seems too good to be true in his appearing at the right place at the right time. There's an aspect of the storytelling that almost forces a rewatch of the first season after the end of it to go back and reinterpret those events knowing what we know now. Well, I held off asking you, is he hallucinating that character for as long as I could? Because from the first episode, I wanted to ask you, is that character even real? But that character seemed to interact with other characters. There was plenty of evidence he was real 
but it goes back to the unreliable narrator. Yeah, exactly. And finally, we got to a point where it was kind of a definitive, okay, we're about to find out. Mm -hmm. And that was why I asked you, do you think he's even real? Well, and the interpretation of events we had as we were watching through the episodes, based on the information we were given at the time, I think we went in the expected direction the the storytellers were wanting us to go in them knowing full well that's not the story that's not how the story's unfolding Mm -hmm. we're making assumptions about that Mm -hmm. we went through the story with elliot and i really respect the writers well he has a a warped perception of the world now some of that's the mental illness and some of that which never gets uh, defined or explained some of that's the medication if we were only following the story from his vantage point there are very few stories that you ever do that with true but even the scenes with other people only we're getting the dialogue the way elliot perceives it would happen that's my point though is he is not there to have witnessed and recount those events we're still getting his slant on them, but to me, that's a different situation than if we had never left Elliot's side the entire time. Yeah. Then clearly it's like, well, okay, I'm getting what he, I'm getting the story from his vantage point, And therefore, if he's incorrect, lying or hallucinating, I'm suffering because of that. Mm-hmm. But when I start seeing scenes that do not involve him, um, such as when we see Christian Slater's character in the van with um, uh, Tyrell. Something happened there. I have no reason to suspect that I'm getting an unreliable narration of that segment because Elliot's nowhere near it, as far as I know. But now, but now based on what we've seen, yeah. it's like Christian Slater's character is dead in a hallucination of, of Elliot. Therefore, and obviously we're going way spoilerish on this because yeah. we have to, and it's... We usually do that on television episodes anyways. Um, it, it, but the thing is, later Tyrell is sounding like and acting like that conversation didn't happen. And that's where I'm confused. Yeah. I know what I've seen isn't the way things played out, but I don't know how they did play out. Mm-hmm. This is a story that I feel we would have gotten a fundamentally different take on, uh, different, different, same events, but different story almost. If it had been narrated by Gideon, the head of All Safe, or Angela, uh, Elliot's childhood friend. Or Darlene, even. Or Darlene, uh, Elliot's sister. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Gideon. The first time we met that character, my reaction to him was as two steps above cameo, if you will. I don't want to call him a throwaway character, but a character you kind of bump into, have an encounter with, and you could probably forget about. He's a good character. Episode guest star. Yeah. Functional, we need to have somebody in this role who owns the company. He's got to interact with them, and then we can just take them as a given for the rest of the show. Yeah, but honestly, in that first encounter with him, I didn't expect to see him again throughout the show. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect him to have... uh, It wasn't truly an arc. But no, I, but we got to know him. We, I felt that was one where I felt with his scenes, a lot of them, we f- saw things from his vantage point. He was a very enjoyable character. He was a honest, hardworking guy. Was he, or was that just what Elliot thought of him? True. Because when Elliot hacked him, he found a stand-up guy. So yeah. presumably, some of those scenes, the breakfast in bed at one point. Mm-hmm were were fabrications that never happened true true and there's a certain metatextualness to this story particularly in this last episode when uh christian slater's character uh mr robot for lack of any better name or dad um is is going on about is any of this real yeah it's a tv show so no none of it is and there were a few times where they play with that where elliot is addressing his imaginary friend us the audience Mm mm-hmm um, and it works well because you can be singular or plural. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I wish I could just jump to the conclusion. Is that how it works for you? Yeah. And they've cut and we've jumped to the conclusion. So, yeah, it is how it works for us. So there's a, a very interesting metatextual aspect. And Elliot's interplay with, with the audience yeah. isn't breaking the fourth wall. But it's not not breaking the fourth wall. I loved when he asked the audience, did you see what happened to Tyrell? Yeah. 
He's asking us for help. Yeah. That, uh, they did something else with that early on, and I'm thinking, you know, there is a very fun sort of story that could be told that way. Well, and if it, it's done in conjunction with like a really good website. Well, and it's an awareness that the audience sees scenes that involves other characters and gives information that he as a character doesn't see or isn't a part of. My point is there's an opportunity for a very interactive television series. True. With that sort of a mindset, if they can film it fast enough and be that sort of reactive. Yeah. And it's almost something that I don't think a network television could do, but I could definitely something like that working on YouTube. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it also has the built-in feedback mechanism. Yeah. So there were some, some storytelling choices I found fascinating and really worked for me. There were also some storytelling choices that we've talked about as we were watching that were, in my mind, a little too artsy and whatnot. When they would have a scene where two people are talking and they're facing, you know, one is, for lack of a a better term, stage left, the other is stage right. But whenever we see the person on stage left, they're on the right side of the screen. Whenever we see the person facing them to, you know, as we look at them looking towards our left to, to, you know, whatever, they're on the far right of the screen. And it's one of those where they're trying to be... If they're looking towards the left, they're at the lower left corner of the screen. Yeah, they're on the left edge looking to the left, cut to the person that they're looking at who's on the right edge of the screen. And it's one of those, and I think it was, I'm positive it was intentional, but I think the reason it was done was to reinforce kind of the unreliable narrator and Elliot just doesn't see things right. He's not framing the scene correctly. Yeah. Because typically you would have seen the person facing to the left on the right side of the screen. You would then cut to the person who's on the left and kind of the the whole glance object cut and all that kind yeah. of film stuff comes into play. And they were very much working, I don't say against it, but with it in a jarring um, sort of, uh, uh, not dichotomy, but there's another word I'm, I'm searching for there, um, to make things feel a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, a little not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there were other places where certain things that are going on, some of the relationships peripheral characters have and whatnot, I'm like, where are they going with this? Why is this even here? Mm-hmm. And now, based on the revelation of the last two episodes in the season, I'm wondering, did any of that really happen? Or were they just having to fill a little bit of space and time? Did he ever hack Tyrell? Is it assumptions about Tyrell? I'm trying to remember if we ever saw any evidence he hacked Tyrell. I thought he did. But Tyrell was savvy enough he could have been prepared for that. Should have been prepared for Mm -hmm. that. Because he was hacking other people too. Yeah. We also had the conversation between the execs where they were talking about rumor is people are doing this, that, and the other. And Elliot may have been filling in based on rumors he heard. Why would some of these scenes even have happened? Because as far as we know, Elliot has no awareness or any reason to be aware or uh, thinking about the person Tyrell lost the CTO position to, Chief Technical Officer, uh, that wife getting killed. Yeah. And there's certain entire subplots or whatever that have nothing to do with Elliot other than they're happening at the edge of, you know, his orbit, mm-hmm. if, uh, the orbit yeah. of him. But we need to know about the whole CTO conflict to explain to us why Tyrell comes to Elliot at the end to help him trigger the act against the company that Tyrell was working for when we first met him. Understood. Understood. And it fills out arcs for a lot of otherwise peripheral characters that would have been just see him and forget about him kind of thing. Yeah. But that was part of why the unreliable narrator aspect of this story wasn't totally working for me. Yeah. It's just there's so many things that if Elliot was was telling us either in person or as his imaginary friend, here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Why would he mention any of these things that he has that that are so uh, irrelevant to his tale? Yeah. You know, they're not part of the story he's telling. It's like he's going over, you know, some really weird tangents and going into serious detail on them mm-hmm. for no reason. You know, it's funny because a lot of those scenes really worked, particularly the ones with Gideon. He gets there. Tyrell's been fired. He can't undo things. He's like, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, so they work, but not in the context, again, of the unreliable narrator. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's a little not puzzling or perplexing, but there's a aspect of the storytelling style, structure, well, philosophy to, that to I'm me not it sure was I like, buy into. To me it was like there were two types of stories going on at the same time. Okay. And well in terms of Elliot and the unreliable narration. Right. And then the scenes Elliot wasn't in, I was constantly trying to figure out, are these simply orient us to the world scenes and not part of Elliot's narration, except even in those, we hear Evil Corp and we're getting Elliot's spin on them to keep them consistent to Elliot's narration. Well, like some of the scenes later on with Angela and Darlene, it seems like when Elliot is not literally in the picture, we get a more reliable narration, still unreliable, mm-hmm. but not as unreliable. Yeah. It's just, it's hard for me to know how to gauge the am I being lied to or not factor of the story. Yeah. And, I mean, I consume zillions of stories. I mean, the the number of comics I read, the size of my DVD Blu-ray collection, uh, the, the number of novels I've read, whatever. Mm-hmm. And... I remember having a discussion one year at Comic-Con, and this was years ago, with Peter David. Okay. Because I'd read, I think it was A Rock and a Hard Place, one of the Star Trek novels he did for Next Generation. And I'm like, I'm a little confused by this this one guest character that shows up for the novel. He was telling Riker this, he was telling Worf that, and then somebody else this. This seems like a mistake, a continuity error. And, and his response, as best I can recall, and again, this being 10, possibly 20 years ago, was kind of along the, yes, that is what that character told. That person, that person, and that person. What does that tell you about that character? Yeah. And again, Peter David, very accomplished writer, very talented writer. And, you know, I stopped, rethought. It's like, oh, okay, the guy, he was telling them what they needed to hear, what what, what worked, what he needed to tell them to, to further his agenda, essentially. Yeah. With this... We knew we were getting the editorialization. Mm-hmm. We knew there were some convenient aspects with Christian Slater's character appearing at certain times, but nothing that couldn't be rationally explained. Yeah. To then get where he's a hallucination of, of Elliot's father, Darlene is his sister, and other things, it again, in my mind, forces a rewatch of those earlier episodes to figure out what, how, how do I interpret the story now? Mm-hmm. What the hell really might have happened? Yeah. See, I wondered from the pilot, is he a hallucination? So when it came out, he was a hallucination. I'm not going to say I was disappointed, but was more of a, okay, I kind of expected that. I wasn't really expecting it. My take on the character was he was a hacker trying to orchestrate this event. He'd come across, uh, he'd been essentially trying to recruit Mm -hmm. Elliot explaining the convenience thing there, running interference when he needed to for Elliot just to protect him, and was then trying to insinuate himself as a father figure. See, and the insinuating himself as a father figure was my take on him from the boardwalk scene, from the Mm -hmm. helping him get off morphine scenes. So when it came out he was his father, to me it was kind of a, okay, now I have to decide, does that make sense? Is that convenient? Was I happier with him as a pseudo-father figure? I can work many of those scenes as, you know, in either way. Okay, he was trying to be the father figure. It plays that way. It works a little less so for me in terms of the hallucination aspect. But where the hallucination thing totally falls apart is everything where Elliot is introduced to F Society. The whole explanation of they're the data centers, you've got to knock out the data center with the mm-hmm. flicking the popcorn and stuff. Mm-hmm. The going up in the uh, the but the Ferris wheel or whatever it was. My theory is all of the scenes that we saw with F Society are his hallucinated versions. Absolutely. I just don't know and how they played out. Exactly. And that's what I wish if I were to do the Uber DVD Blu-ray version of this show i would have filmed the sane versions from darlene's yeah perspective of those scenes because one of the scenes that i'm endlessly curious about on the sane version aspect is when mr robot is yelling at elliot for getting darlene's real world phone number Mm -hmm. 
There are so many of those scenes that, again, I can't decipher or, or decrypt, I guess would be the better word, as to what's the real data there, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's funny because seeing the story from different perspectives is one of the things that's always appealed to me about doing a, a comic book with computer-generated art. Mm. Because then you, you literally are positioning the characters in a virtual 3D space, and you could change the camera to be each person's perspective. Yeah. You know, or even tweak what they see based on that. You know, kind of an overlay sort of a thing. But for them to have essentially shot, I don't want to say every scene twice. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I would want the scenes at F Society. But there's even scenes outside of there that I think are needed to to get the context. A few. I mean, the scene where uh, one of the F Society guys is saying, no, I'm done with it. I'm now uh, growing plants. Any scene with Christian Slater. Yeah. Yeah. Anything well, that we have reason to think was a hallucination of some way, shape, or form. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, I don't need him hanging out on the subway him happening to lean in and annoy the people at the cafe a few of those he was just a distraction but that's that those are some of the ones i actually need because if he didn't exist what distracted those people but were they even distracted were they even there what really happened yeah yeah there's a certain aspect of coming out of watching the story and being unclear what the story was yeah that impresses me and frustrates me Mm mm-hmm I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed a lot of this. Oh, so did I. There were a few parts more early on, not beginning, but like episodes two through six-ish, where I felt they were doing some things where it's just, okay, let's go have these two girls kiss in the ladies' room because we need that sort of a thing or whatever. Okay, that scene, we talked about it at the time because what frustrated me there is not that we had two girls kiss. Because I get this Couldn't whole... care less about the content. The content felt extraneous. Well, what got me was Shayla is in a relationship with a guy. Yep. Angela, I believe, was the other girl involved. Yep. She's in a relationship with a guy. Yep. They're hanging out in a ladies' room. Shayla's selling drugs, and they're a little drunk and happy, and it's, you know what? We haven't had a lesbian moment in this show. Let's throw one in. That, I mean, to me, whether it was a lesbian moment or something else, it was something that... Felt like it was out of the blue, didn't fit with the characters, and didn't progress the overall storyline. It was a distraction. Exactly. Now, you could argue, oh, well, it was a fantasy of Elliot's or whatever, but it's like, why? Yeah. We've never seen any other indication that he's fantasizing like that. Now, at first, when uh, Gideon is on the airplane, and it's, you know, did you know I'm gay? Did I need to? You know, again, it was just an out of the blue moment. What did it matter? And it's, you know, my partner says I need to be more open. Okay, I kind of get this. To me, that was character growth for Gideon. And it it gradually, the scene was awkward, but it got there. And it was because the characters were awkward together. Yes. So in that respect, it was a good scene. But over the course of the episodes, they really used that he has a home life and that home life is what keeps him grounded And having that marriage and having a supportive spouse is how he goes through the crazy days at work. And if he was going through what he was going through at All Safe and didn't have a supportive spouse, regardless of gender. Something to ground him and make it worthwhile. At home, that would be an entirely different character. And he might have gone the blowing his brains out route (laughs) that another character went. Okay, let me ask you this. So to me... That ended up working, and I'm okay with the, we felt we needed to throw a gay relationship in, even if it came out of the blue at me. I thought the Gideon character was well-established, a little awkward in a few places, Mm -hmm. granted, but interesting, accessible in terms of we get to know him, we get to understand him, we can see through his world or his eyes. He grew on me. At first, I thought that they were... I don't want to say doing it out of obligation, but at first he felt like a check mark. I, I guess we needed to have some of that. So we got to know him as a person mm-hmm. through the dinner party and some of that, which also had other narrative purposes, to where at the end, when he's scrambling to find who can help me with this, mm-hmm. yeah, we care. Yeah, exactly. They but built him well. Having gotten his home life and things like that, Go back to the the assumption everything's narrated by Elliot, mm-hmm. and it's unreliable. Why is Elliot spending time telling us about 
Gideon's home life, but not the shrinks. Okay, on the one hand, total agreement. On the other hand, we did get the hacked version of her life, and we got the therapy session where he says, I know you cry at home like I do. We got a, a verbal tour of her life. Understood, a verbal one. Mm-hmm. But that was all, to me, a functional aspect of his obsessive hacking, mm-hmm. as was the taking the dog and the, the, the guy who was cheating on his wife and whatnot. But if everything in this uh, show is being narrated by Elliot, and I'm now starting to think it is not, why then do we get the scene in the ninth or 10th episode at the cafe between the shrink and the ex-boyfriend who'd been cheating on his wife, where he's saying, yeah, cybercrime's going after this guy? I think that was a decision point for the shrink. I think it was too, but it's also something that not only does Elliot have no knowledge of, Elliot almost can't have knowledge of. Certainly- the post-credit scene on the final episode yeah. seems like something that Elliot can't or shouldn't have knowledge of. Yeah. So there's an aspect of the the narration of the story that I am still struggling with. Yeah. I I really enjoyed The Shrink. I, I like The Shrink. Um, I want her to come back next season. I want to see how that evolves. I liked aspects at the end with Inside Evil Corp. Mm-hmm. particularly with with angela and stuff angela, i like the angela character yeah, throughout yeah she uh she had great arc um some of the stuff with the live-in boyfriend was hilarious she was essential because she gave us insight into elliot you yeah. know don't stand up for me i need to fight my own battles don't stand there looking confused say something you know i loved the way she talked to him in terms of the I know you so well that I know I need to kind of prompt you with, here's what you need to do. Well, and there was an aspect where it's not like she could hear his internal monologue, but she had at times an idea what it was and other times completely no idea what it was. She was also one of the few people that got past the don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was, she was a necessary character. Mm-hmm. And if they continue this for multiple seasons, and I hope they do, mm-hmm. Elliot has to stick around. Mm-hmm. I think she has to stick around. Yeah, well, and I thought uh, Terry Colby gave her good advice in the line of, look, if you want to change Evil Corp, get inside Evil Corp. He was a character that was fun to watch mm-hmm. from the first episode where he's just dressing her down and essentially trying to get her fired. If, well, we don't need you, little little young lady type of thing. Little miss, you can just you know scoot on out of the room. Yeah. And that scene was great and you know we called it at the time of you've got two envelopes of drastically different colors and you put, yeah there was a lack of subtlety on that yeah you put the white one on the desk with the okay i'm gonna be honest and then terry colby tries to get little miss fired and no you don't do that to elliot's childhood best friend because the white envelope that says you're not guilty goes back in the bag and the dark blue envelope purple or whatever yeah yeah, that frames you comes out and that's something that tyrell noticed and nobody else in the room did yeah apparently they're not detail oriented on Hmm. you know drastic color change and i can get that there have been studies and there's some some wild videos on this where they've uh psychology experiments are being done like on a college campus um they're asking somebody for directions Another person as part of the experiment distracts the person they're asking. The person who had asked them has now been swapped out for somebody else, yeah. continues the conversation, and the person doesn't notice. Yeah. There's a certain aspect of human psychology where people are placeholders until they become people. people. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get it because I can't tell you how many TV shows, particularly during like the pilot or whatever, the characters are almost interchange. Some of the actors are almost interchangeable until I get to know. Oh, that's who that character is. Agreed. You know, um, and in one or two cases where they had two actors that were Caucasian males, dark hair, roughly the same build or whatever, I- I've confused them for a few scenes, and then oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah. So I, I get how the whole less so with the uh, you know white to purple envelope or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, or folder, but it. It set up early on in that first episode, Elliot's, um, I almost want to say Robin Hood mentality. Take from the rich, give to the poor, do right, even if you're committing crimes to do it. Yeah, well, and then there was the Shayla arc, Mm -hmm. which was really an exploration of his, he hacked people, he tried to do what was right, but 
he had that social awkwardness and that that inability to totally relate, which is how he didn't properly judge consequences. The problem I have with that arc, she dies after, uh, and he breaks the, the guy out of prison. And then it's dropped. And then it is dropped like a rock. It's like after that, it never happened. Yeah, that really annoyed me. Not even stuff in the background about this, not even a newspaper, nothing. Yeah. People, you know, Nobody told even him he should mourn. Well, yeah, they, they acknowledge she's dead uh, in the following episode, but even after, that's the only ramification yeah. for one episode. As far as I'm concerned, he should have kept going after that guy who got away on his radar. And oh, yeah. There weren't even news articles of the how many criminals broke out. There should have been something where they suddenly were all getting caught. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. There are just a lot of aspects of this show that were clearly very well-written, well-constructed, but there are a few aspects of it where I just don't agree either with the choices they made or whatever their underlying philosophy is. Again, dropping the Shayla stuff, some of the extraneous scenes, whatever. Because we hadn't watched it until just now, I avoided all articles pertaining to the show, etc. I tried to keep it away from me. Uh, At Comic-Con, I didn't go to the panel because I knew. Same here. All I knew is that there was a big kind of a 2.0 for the season. In other words, a game-changing aspect between seasons. Right. And, yeah. Okay, but which do you consider to be the game-changing aspect? I consider it to be multiple things. One, I was expecting F Society's plan to succeed and trash the economy. Because if they don't, well, that kind of sucks. But... And to me, that's a, a global game changer for the status quo in that world. Right. Okay. And we were assuming that really happened despite his whole being in Times Square and I want to be alone so all the protesters are no longer here and I'm alone and Times Square looks normal. He was alone and Times Square was empty. Yeah. I don't think that's normal. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I wasn't that. quite sure how to take all of that other than he'd been having a bit of a breakdown. Okay. Okay, so, so I don't think those scenes happened at all. Okay, that yeah, see, that's where I was leaning towards, and that's what made me waver on. So, what, where does what didn't happen start? Does I that think make sense? the global collapse had to happen. Okay, because we saw too many scenes with too many people indicating it clearly had happened. Okay, and most of them without him in it. Okay, see, to me, that's the game changer, and I'll believe that's, that. That's one game changer. Okay. The he's hallucinating and we can't trust the storyteller. Uh, in other words, the revelations of the last two episodes is another game changer. See, to me, Christian Slater reveal wasn't much of a reveal or a game changer. It was something I'd been expecting all along. I'm not saying the reveal of him was the game changer uh, because you were expecting him to be a hallucination. I was not. Um, certainly it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. I thought with the uh, end of episode eight, reveal of Darlene as the sister, mm-hmm. that whole thing of everything we've been told is a lie Okay, was the game changer. Okay. Yeah. And to me, it's the most risky type of game changer. Yeah. Because if I'd been really liking the story up until then, and I was, yeah. but if I'd gotten really attached to aspects of the story mm-hmm. or whatever, and it's like, no, no, yeah, we, we, we've been wasting your time. It's really, that's not what's going on. It's now this. They've at least stayed on the same basic line while, while going in a different direction. It's kind of weird to, to say that, but it's, to me, that moment was the one that still makes my mind just kind of go pop. Yeah. You know, uh, whereas I was, again, expecting their big plan to, to wipe out debt and everything. It's like that's got to work because it sets such a different status quo for the next season. Yeah. You know, that to me was the expected game changer. Whereas for you, the hallucination was. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I fully expect different people consume the same story and get different, consume the same content and get, get different stories out of it. Yeah. And see different things. on the baggage things. you bring in. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's part of why I love watching things with you. And we're sitting here sometimes as it's watching, discussing, wait, what happened here? What happened there? I thought this. You thought that. Mm-hmm. Just because it, it rounds out that viewing experience. Well, and for me, it was a little anticlimactic there in the pilot to think, wow, he kind of feels like a hallucination, which is why I held off asking you, Mm -hmm. because I wanted you to, 
you know, consume the story. And then when it's like, okay, I think they're about to reveal yay or nay. That's why I asked. Yeah. So that you'd know, okay, that's the wavelength she's been on, but I think she's nuts. Well, the wavelength you've been on and thinking you're nuts, I've always known. Yeah, really. But I didn't see the whole um, dad and uh, Darlene's the sister thing coming. I did not see the sister thing coming. But it was funny, the minute that happened, the first thing that popped into my mind, Luke, Leia, Darth. (laughs) Now, what keeps driving me nuts about Tyrell is um, it seems like the most perverted aspect of corporate espionage in terms of espionage being spies and we've got him speaking Russian or whatever at home. It's like there's a whole nother story or series going on with him. Yeah. That we're tangentially privy to, but not what's his agenda, what's going on, what's up with his wife. Yeah. There are a few things where it seemed like every character had to have their own. It's it's like Mr. Robot is Elliot's plot line for his series that is intersecting and orbiting and weaving around seven other story series type things. Yeah. The whole Evil Core thing, Tyrell's thing. You know, Angela's story, you know, a few other things going on, the all safe story, any of which white white rose that we've just barely been in the orbit of. Yeah. Um, And on the one hand, that's cool. And they're doing it well because it's not feeling like uh, some of the other stuff we've watched. I'm thinking Dark Matter in particular. Um, And we'll do a uh, episode on the second season of that. They've introduced some new characters and it feels like each one has to have their own arc in a, a pronounced not forced but obvious way yeah whereas here with uh with mr robot all of these characters seem to have clear arcs well they have clearly they have arcs the arcs are not so much clear how about that yeah and in some cases there are definite finalities to them shayla being a good example Mm. but not in a way where it's like oh geez they've we've just met the the, the the delivery guy for the pizza good lord what's his arc gonna be you know it's none of that yeah you know but there's there's plot counterplot those sorts of things there's uncertainty it's a fun series i see the appeal of it but it's also one that has and i'm going to use the term avant-garde but i don't think that's really what i mean but it's it's got an an artsy mm-hmm. feel to it a a, a they're definitely trying to be different, which is how they end up with yes. the artsy feel and the pacing in some of the early episodes, especially. And part of it is the first episode was longer than a typical yeah. episode. But the pacing is not what we're used to from a lot of shows. I was expecting, frankly, a much more straightforward, almost procedural show or heist film kind of mentality just applied to cybersecurity. Mm hmm. You know, he's hacking people to get the hack of the week, that kind of a thing. I wasn't expecting him to be, uh, Elliot to be as quirky of a character. Um, I wasn't expecting some of the, I don't want to say gratuitous, but seemingly irrelevant uh, relationship stuff with a lot of these other characters. Some of the stuff that Tyrell does to get the CTO job that he doesn't get. Yeah, I mean, they're throwing in a lot of... of sex-related things to be edgy or something. Yeah, and that's the problem. If they were scenes that flowed naturally with the story and simply made perfect sense for the character, where you're going, well, of course they'd do that. That'd be one thing. But these scenes didn't feel natural to me. They didn't feel natural. They also didn't feel like uh, uh, human hacks, if you will, i.e. con artist type stuff. Yeah. It wasn't seduction. No. It was sex. No, well, yeah. And I mean, Tyrell was very upfront with uh, the executive assistant dude when the guy says, you know, I never thought you'd be the kind of guy to show up at a club like this. And he says, I'm not. Then why are you here? for you. Yeah, exactly. There was no subtlety. There was, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that aspect of the show didn't work for me. And it was less the content than the lack of subtlety and execution. Yeah. And the fact that it felt irrelevant-ish. Because most of that was all around Tyrell's, you know, uh, grab for power at Ecor or whatever. His, yeah, his predatory nature. And had nothing to do with Elliot's story, which is the story I was trying to follow. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious if what changes they make on the second season. There, I expect a little bit of a retooling. 
Yeah, with the Shayla story, I think part of why it really upset me that they dropped uh, the drug dealer that got mm -hmm. out of jail was because they'd made it clear in Natural Evolution's story that Shayla only started dealing with that specific drug supplier yes. to get the drug Elliot needed. But that was one of the things I liked about the following episode where it did have all uh, ramifications for that. We get to how they met, all that kind of a stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just the ramifications lasted for the episode. Yeah, but that's why I wanted him to go after that guy. Because he seems to me to be a character who feels responsible and who wants to take down the people who've hurt those he loves. It seems like the sort of thing he couldn't not go after the guy. Yeah, yeah. His character is such that it was almost, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. yeah. So I'm I felt the same way on that. Uh again, overall I liked the season. I'm still a little perplexed by parts of it, but Are there any characters we haven't touched on? The uh, wife, Tyrell's wife. Yeah. Seems like essentially ex supermodel type. Well, we really don't get much other than she wants him to grab power for unknown reasons. They seem to be predatory partners. Yeah, but she's nothing uh, we we get no idea of her motivation. Agreed. But that's where it, I was saying that it feels like a cross between corporate espionage and just straight up espionage. They feel to me like foreign spies who were assigned together. Absolutely. There's some agenda there that we don't know about. At the very least, they're a power couple. Yeah. And with no real motivation as to what power they're craving and why. Yeah. Um, she was interesting, but... They would have been more interesting if I understood better. If I felt invested in their plight. Yes. Yeah. But this is a show that I think a lot of the potential appeal for it is the speculation aspects that, that arise from it. Ooh, what do you think about that? How about this? Mm -hmm. And the, the discussion potential it has. Yeah. And when I was uh, traveling quite a bit at one point, Babylon 5 was on the air. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I stumbled across, and this was early in the days of the internet, was The Lurker's Guide to Babylon 5. And they had episode by episode synopsis and speculation and stuff. It was a very well-organized website. But just, hey, did you catch these little Easter eggs? This is referencing that. This later gets built on in this other episode. And it was something that was a very uh, detailed and community-based uh, dissection of the show. This is a show that I think would warrant that sort of a thing. Yeah. And I found reading that kind of a stuff enhanced my viewing of the show. Because I could watch an episode of Babylon 5, read the thing, and either rethink about what I watch or watch it again, and pull some new aspects out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point it would make sense for us to rewatch Mr. Robot, I'm going to say it after the series ends. Yeah. Um, To see how our vantage point on everything changes. I mean, one could argue if we had more time, I would say, well, let's rewatch season one again. See how that works, then two, then two again, then three, you know, that kind yeah. of deal. And then once again for the whole thing. Yeah. Because I think it would hold up to three viewings. Yes. But that's also a little more time than I want to commit to it. Um, But it's something where I'm really curious what other people have thought of the show, uh, if they've enjoyed it, what they like, what they don't, what they feel about the unreliable narrator aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to watching the second season. Do you think the second season will stick with the unreliable narrator or do you think that they feel either the audience is tired of it or it was difficult to do? I think it has to stick with it. Yeah, it's become a trademark of the show in some respects. It is the part of in, in yeah. integral part of the DNA of the show. Yeah. If you remove that, the voiceovers are gone and an entire level of the story is just removed. No, you're right. It doesn't work without it. Interesting. Yeah. And I say that not being entirely sure it totally worked with it. Well, no, I agree. But it's part of, I don't want to say it's a character in the show, but it's part of the character of the show, definitely. Absolutely. This is the kind of show that some people are going to watch and hate. Mm -hmm. Others are going to watch and love. And there are going to be some like us that are, I think, more in the, the love than hate, but struggling. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, when I went to the Luke Cage panel at Comic-Con, um, Alfrey Woodard said that uh, the city should be listed on the call sheet mm -hmm. as one of the characters because it added so much to the story, et cetera, et cetera. And in some respects with Mr. Robot, the unreliable narrator and that style and perspective 
What's interesting is the is, same sense. I think there are a lot of shows where there is that that additional character of the setting, if you will. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue with um, like Star Trek, the Enterprise is another character. Yeah. Serenity, it's the ship, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, the TARDIS on Doctor Who. But I think here we're not talking about a, a place, but a a style, a tone, a yeah. technique. Yeah. And I find that's part of what's making the show unique. Yeah. Because the voiceover narration's been done a lot of times before. MacGyver did it brilliantly. But I think here they're taking it and, again, really pushing that fourth wall, uh, leaning over it without shattering it or breaking it. Mm-hmm. And, again, the unreliable narrator twist on that. Um, it's something that definitely makes the show unique. It's it's Like you said, it's part of the character of the show. Yeah. And um, I think without it, it would it would plummet in ratings. It would fall flat. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm looking forward to watching the second season, which is already six or seven episodes in. Yeah. As we record this, it will probably be over by the time this goes up. <laughs> um, we'll try to get that on uh, uh, in into the rotation to to do another one of these episodes on short order. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see who was knocking on the door. Yeah, when they knock on the door and then he opens and cuts, it's like, jeez, man. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, it's not like they left the character in desperate peril. He's hanging off a cliff about to die. But darn it, I want to know who's on the other side of the door. You know, it's funny because there was one scene in one of the two episodes we just watched where they've got the camera at his kitchen. The door is there on the right side of the screen. And the door was opening, but it was doing it such that at first I thought the camera was moving. Yes, yes. I mean, that was one of those things where the director of photography and stuff on this has done some very interesting things. But this was one where yeah, it was interesting. I'm not entirely sure if it worked. Well, it was one of those Elliot was off his meds and Darlene had just gone to get the prescriptions refilled. That's what it was. You're right. Yeah. So it was a very interesting way to give us just a Elliot's world is kind of goofy. Well, and again, that's to me the big takeaway on this is they're doing some experimental stuff with storytelling style, some of which is really working, some of which is not so much. Yeah. But it's different. I uh, uh, applaud the creativity. And um, again, uh, I'm curious what other people think. It seems to be a big hit. I've had a lot of people around the office uh, ask if I'm watching it and stuff like that. I definitely think it's worth checking out. I'm glad we watched it. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would give it, you know, my highest of high ratings because there are so many things that left me baffled and confused, but it's also something I would watch again. I don't know if I would recommend it to somebody, but if somebody said they'd watched it, I would certainly want to discuss it with them. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's the thing. I would, if somebody asked me, hey, would you recommend a show? I would actually stop and think about what kind of person are they? What kind of viewer are they before I would recommend this? I think you should do that in any case, well, but yes. most certainly for this one. Yeah. Because I think it's appropriate for some people and not for others. Yeah. I think there are some people, in fact, I know some people who uh, are, I don't want to say strict about uh, camera shots being lined up correctly. and or There are some people that would uh, hate the stylistic visual choices yeah there are others that would just oh wow that's cool that's you know yeah and it's where do they fall on that yeah you know this is not all things to all people it's got such a pronounced personality and and uh style to it that if you don't match that up with the the right audience uh they're not gonna like it it's a waste of their time yeah because i mean i had a college professor who would give me Definite low marks if I'd lined up shots like some of those. Oh, man. If somebody were to, to present this as like a, a film, student film project kind of a thing. Yeah. There are, again, a few professors. Uh, oh, wow. It's brilliant. It's groundbreaking. There are others. You don't know the first thing about the basic rules of cinematography. Yeah, exactly. F. Yeah. You know, and. Yeah, it took me a few episodes to set aside the what I was taught in college and just say, OK, what are they doing here? What am I seeing? But that's, again, part of my struggle is they understand storytelling style and structure well enough to break the rules. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if the rules they broke made the story work for me or not. Yeah. Uh, I'm unclear what the story is. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to um, I'm, I'm pretty sure 
the F Society pulled off their hack and everything went All well. All positive they did. But Elliot gave me just enough doubt but that, that I didn't appreciate. That's the thing. We watched the same thing yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And we came to differing conclusions as to what story was told. Yeah. Well, and if we hadn't seen the uh, after credits scene, I would be on the, no, I'm not really sure they pulled it off. But that convinced me, okay, it did get pulled off. It's just, really? Because Elliot, It's the uncertainty, though, that I find fascinating. Yeah. And not just you on that, but me on other aspects, too. Well, and I loved the end of the world party. For uh, getting fingerprints all over the yeah. F Society place. I thought that was fun. I thought that was fun. I'm, that's something that um, I feel law enforcement may need to... <laughs> they they really ought to have a... Uh, I don't say an oversight on various films and TV shows. <laughs> yes. But there are certain things uh-huh. that it's like, wow, I, I had never actually considered. Uh-huh. Throw a rave... Uh-huh. And you suddenly got all sorts of other people's DNA and fingerprints all over your crime scene. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's that's a great idea. clever. Great idea to put out there for millions of people to get the idea from. Thank you. Again, that's not the first time television and film have done that sort of, or oh, comics yeah. or books or other things. Well, and it goes back to the comment I've made before of, to me, one of the most fascinating post 9-11 things was that an entire committee was formed out of Hollywood. Yeah. And Stephen J. Cannell was on it. And it was, okay, we thought what happened on 9-11 was inconceivable and we weren't prepared for that. We need you to tell us what are the other inconceivable things we should be prepared for. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just a fascinating concept of, okay, let's go to the creative minds we have well, and, and find out. One of the strengths of this is they had a lot of really good ideas. They did. Both in terms of, of how to tell a story and what story to tell and particular beats within it. Yeah. So, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to where it goes. Uh, I think it'll go for probably a good couple of seasons until they're done telling their story. Part of me hopes Gideon's back next season, just to throw that out there. Oh, absolutely. Terrific uh, actor, great character. Yeah. He played the president in a season or two of uh, House of Cards on Netflix. Yeah. Going back to the, I, I didn't know what to expect when the character first came on for what seemed like just a brief, you know, mm-hmm. we need someone in this position scene, but he just really became a, a stronger and stronger character. But I also think the I didn't know what to expect is probably the tagline for Mr. Robot. It is. Yes. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.